0: This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where we are determined to build a community and bring everyone back to their superpowered self. Joining me today is a very special guest on a topic near and dear to my heart. I have with me Dr. Brooke Smith. She is a PhD, a business operations consultant and a mindfulness expert. And if you've ever run a business, sometimes the two just don't seem to go hand in hand. In her prior career, she managed the operational excellence program at a billion dollar a year company and trained hundreds of people to create streamlined, customer delighting business practices. She's been featured in over a dozen media outlets, including Forbes, Fast Company, InStyle, one of my favorites, Thrive Global, and Parade Magazine. She has a PhD and MBA and certifications in yoga, therapeutic yoga life coaching wellness coaching lean six sigma and project management she does marathons she has so many different gifts but she lives in uh new york with her husband and two cats that we were just talking about and you can find them mountain biking on local trails and playing board games welcome to the show brooke we're thrilled to have you here
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Taz. I'm excited to be here. Yes, so this is
0: a really important topic, right? So many women today are going to business, they are starting their own companies, they're innovating, they're busting it, they're killing it, and it's exciting. And I think the business world is incredibly exciting. I always reflect back on my own story, you know, I'm running now three companies, but I never once intended to run a business that was not, my intention or my purpose. No one ever coached me or or sort of brought me up to being like, hey, you might be good at this. Give it a try. So it's been interesting. The journey has been fascinating. It's definitely had some really high highs, and it's also had some very painful lows. And navigating all of that has been interesting. And I don't want to get too long-winded on me, but my husband also runs a business, and it's been interesting to watch the management styles of the two of us. So for example, he is able to come home put things away what he gets to he gets to what he doesn't get to he doesn't get to I on the other hand I'm like I've got a running tally going on in my head all the time I'm 13 years in now and still have that running tally going it's still like my kid it's still my passion it's still all or nothing it's still go big or go home whereas he's like well you know this is all we can do today so we'll deal with everything else tomorrow so it's been fascinating to navigate the differences between the two of us and I don't know if they're gender-based I don't know if all women are wired the way I am when they run a business, but I'd be so curious as to what your perspective after dealing with all these people is on women entrepreneurs.
1: It's funny. The experience that you're describing of just feeling like you're working all the time and there's always more to do is so normal. It's so common. I work primarily with women and I do think there's, so I I see the same behavior in men also. It's not specific to women, but I think (laughs) women, you know, we are conditioned from a young age to be selfless, to take care of everyone and everything around us, to say yes to everything, even if it's not something we want to do. And all of this ends up converging on the business where we're trying to get things done. We can't get things done because there's all of these things and people around us that need us. And it takes a significant conscious and unconscious shift to be able to establish boundaries, to say no, to say later, to say this is actually not an emergency and to really carve out the time that we need to focus on deep work and also to ask for help when we need it.
0: That's so true. And and what do you see when it comes to women handling those demands? What do they do that maybe our male counterparts aren't doing? And kind of the flip of that too, what makes us really good at business? What are like maybe some of the gender characteristics of us as women that make us really good at it, but maybe also are kind of our undoing.
1: Yeah. I see. It's that empathy is, is the double-edged sword. It makes us really good at business because we can connect to our clients. We understand their needs. We're able to help them find the right solution for their unique situation instead of mansplaining and telling them what they should want. Mm. But that same empathy is what sometimes causes us to put our own work and our own needs aside in order to take care of everyone else?
0: Oh man, I've got so many stories about that. (laughs) So many stories and so much heartache where I, yeah, it's that. I think it's what makes me really great at what I do also can be sort of what, you know, sort of brings me to my knees at the same time, you know? So it's kind of like, it's been very interesting to navigate that landscape. And I think, You know, just the other day, we got some feedback to be candid. You know, I have, you know, one of my companies has we have almost 75 or 80 people on the team, you know, and here's something I hear a lot as a female entrepreneur that I I haven't really figured out how to navigate. And that is essentially somebody left and one of their reasons for leaving was that they don't get enough face time with me. And it's, and it's not like somebody sort of at this upper level that would necessarily, it's not like one of my upper level managers. It's not, you know, one of those type of situations, but, but it was, you know, well, I don't get enough FaceTime with Dr. Taz. And, and like the person explained, the person speaking to this person explained, like she runs a really big team, like guaranteeing FaceTime with her is very difficult. But what I've noticed with women, it's almost like a personal affront or an insult. if like, you don't take time to bond or communicate because our language is so different. So, you know, not only is it being a female entrepreneur, but it's also having an all-female staff. What is, what is the, what are those dynamics for women leading other women and trying to avoid conflict and trying to avoid hurt feelings when really all we're trying to do is run our businesses,
1: you know? It's so interesting that you brought that up because I saw that a lot in corporate also um, where, there's all of this competition amongst women and, you know, I've heard it referred to as the sisterhood wound and the mother wound. So the mother wound being disappointment from a woman in authority and the sisterhood wound being that need to compete with each other.
0: Interesting. And
1: so I think in organizations with a lot of women, if a a critical mass of the people haven't already done their own work to heal those wounds. Cause those are some fundamental sort of tender points that most women struggle with. Mm. Um, if the work hasn't been done to heal those, it can be really difficult to work in an all-female environment.
0: Wow. So a sister wound and a mother wound. How do you yeah. know if you're suffering from either of those wounds? What's some of the energy there? Describe that to us. Yeah.
1: So I think the, the motherhood wound is primarily if you know, someone in a position of authority, usually another woman does something that disappoints you. It's sort of, they fo- you had them on a pedestal and they fall off the pedestal yeah. mm-hmm. and you take it personally. And it becomes a reason for all of these other bad things that happen. Mm. And the sisterhood wound is more about competition with your peers. So it might be, why did she get FaceTime with Dr. Taz and I didn't.
0: Got it, interesting. So when you run a company as a woman,
1: how do you navigate that space how
0: do you avoid first of all creating an an atmosphere of competition amongst the other women in your group and then how do you yourself reflect internally to make sure you're not replicating some of those patterns or creating that mother wound i can tell you i'm guilty absolutely i mean i'm in a position of authority and there are people that have disappointed me incredibly and it's taken me a while to like pull myself up by my bootstraps and be like, okay, well, it happened. Let's just move on. Let's go forward. So, you know, I've stumbled over that a little bit and maybe that is an internal wound from the past that hasn't hundred percent healed. That's getting kind of replicated in my business. So, so what would you tell, you know, entrepreneurs like moving forward, what are some of the safeguards, the checks, the balances we could put in place and see the problem for me is stumbling into being an entrepreneurship, there was no preparation. There has never been any preparation. And I wish I'd have the gift of preparation to a certain extent, like, you know, of before you take people on, before you take a team on, before you take all these things on, work through some of the stuff. What would you say to that to a certain extent? Yeah.
1: So the, most fundamental rule of leadership that I've seen in every organization I've ever participated in in any capacity, um, and this really does differentiate the healthy ones from the unhealthy ones, Mm -hmm. is that the leaders are role modeling the things that they say and the things that they say they expect. Mm -hmm. When we get that gap in an organization between a leader saying one thing and behaving another way, it erodes the culture through the whole organization, Mm -hmm. and I think that's common regardless of gender, regardless of the size of the organization. It's just fundamental good leadership. So with that in mind, how to handle, you know, having an all-female team that many of them have their own mother wounds, their own sister wounds is to first of all know that you can't take those wounds on. Those aren't yours. You didn't create them and you aren't responsible for healing them. So, if you try to mother everyone, if you take those wounds on and try to take responsibility for it, you're not doing anyone any favors and you're not helping yourself. So, and of course that applies to people pleasing in general.
0: Right. It's right.
1: You know, you need to build
0: always trying to make everyone happy. Right. Yeah. So.
1: But fundamentally, I mean, if you, if you want If you want a culture where people talk openly about their feelings, role model it by talking openly about your feelings. If you want a culture where people support each other, make sure that they're being rewarded for for propping up their coworkers and not just for shining as individuals. Mm -hmm. So it's really just about making sure that your vision for the organization is being reflected in your words and your actions and all of the systems that are put in place.
0: I love that. So is that where the mindfulness aspect of what you do comes in is sort of all the certification that you've done in yoga and these other practices, you know, kind uh, kind of maybe merge those ideas of running businesses, you know, searching for your own wounds, trying to really discover your own wounds and understand them, and then having some sort of consistent mindfulness practice.
1: Yes. Mindfulness is what makes it all possible. Because I can say all day long, don't take on other people's wounds. They're, they're not your fault. But unless we have a practice that allows us to get grounded, get a little bit distant, a little bit of distance from the thoughts we have that are like, oh, but we should go comfort them. We should go try to fix that. Mm-hmm. You know, the mindfulness practice is what gives us the space to actually do the thing that we know we should do. And it's the same thing, you know, if, if you're overseeing a huge project, or even scarier, if you've delegated a huge project, yeah. mindfulness is the tool that's going to help you calm down while someone else is managing the project and you don't have visibility into the details. Right. And there's a big temptation to freak out.
0: Right. Which brings us to the other female trap, which I would call needing to control everything and needing to get into the details. Right. We do that at home. We do it beautifully. We all know if we have children that we are way more into the details than usually our male partners are. You know, that's sort of the nature, I think, of our wiring to a certain extent almost. But again, putting that in the business scenario, how do we temper that a bit when it comes to business and teams, you know, versus how we treat maybe our children or our family?
1: So the first thing is to recognize that that need for control is going to limit your growth and it is going to limit your capacity because the tighter you're trying to control things, the less capacity you have to actually lead and manage and vision mm. and to do your deep creative work that's actually essential to the business. Right. And then it's, what are you afraid of? What's the, what's the thing that you're trying to avoid by controlling all the details and get comfortable with the uncertainty. Humans love knowing what's going to happen next. That's why we watch the news. That's why we watch polling before elections. That's why we watch pregame shows before sporting events and red carpet runway shows before the Oscars. We need to know the future, but we can't know the future. And all of the things we do to try to know the future suck our energy away from all of the deep work we actually could be doing that really moves the needle. So when we get comfortable with not knowing what's going to happen, we're free to shift our attention, our energy, our effort to all of the things that we can do that actually do influence the outcome.
0: Wow. That's pretty powerful. So if you were to structure an entrepreneur's day, how would you do that? I can tell you I'm probably doing an okay job. There's definitely, I still crave and desire that creativity time, that time alone, that time to think, the time like not to have 20 meetings, you know, on a given day, all of that other stuff. So I have managed to put sort of into place the majority of the week, at least, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of solo time in the morning, but I honestly crave more. How would you structure the entrepreneur's day?
1: Yeah, it's highly individualized. Yeah. So I'm not going to pretend to have a one size fits all solution. Got it. What okay. I do recommend for everyone without fail, though, is to carve out time for deep work. Um, and even if you start with a half hour, because that's all you can put on your calendar, create that time and defend it. If the person interrupting you isn't bleeding, it's not really an emergency and you get to defend your deep work time. Mm. And a huge part of that, it gets back to this fear and uncertainty. If we don't go take care of the thing, when we hear an interruption, there's this, what's going to happen? It's going to be even worse by the time I'm done with my deep work. I'm the only one that can fix it. We have all of these thoughts. You know, the panic starts to rise and you almost can't get back to focusing. And every time you say no to a distraction and keep working, you're going to get better at it because every time you do that and the world doesn't come to an end... You're training your brain to appreciate that, no, other people actually can handle this. This actually can wait a half hour. It can wait an hour. Maybe it can even wait two hours. And the only way to retrain your brain is to go through the discomfort of saying no to distractions and letting it be okay. I love that. Is there a
0: specific tool in the mindfulness world that you really like to see some of your clients or some of your folks use when they're trying to get into that deep work and get into that creative space, because it is hard to turn that buzzing brain off with things that you have to do or answer or things
1: like that. I love a quick body scan meditation. Mm. Even just two minutes, notice the bottoms of your feet, your sit bones, your posture, shoulders, neck, muscles in your face, muscles in your eyes. Notice a few breaths. Notice all the different ways that your body moves when you breathe. You know, we don't think about all of those details. We don't really tune into them, but the chest rises and falls. The diaphragm expands and contracts. The gaps between your ribs get wider and narrower. And if you just take a moment to notice all those sensations, it shifts your brain away from telling stories and into noticing sensations in the present moment. Hmm. And just taking two minutes several times a day to do that is so powerful. And for people who either don't want to, or can't sit still long enough to do like a 15 minute meditation in the morning, doing these little two minute meditations throughout the day has a profound impact. And it's actually my preferred way to practice mindfulness. Wow.
0: So 15 minute meditations throughout the day. So not just Mm -hmm. in the morning, two minutes throughout the day, two minutes throughout the day. Sorry. Okay. So just taking time here and there to do that. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Any other tools, any other sort of tips I like to write I find for some reason, maybe it's, it's some way of calming my brain, but I like to write stuff out sometimes or just write my thoughts out or scribble them out. Kind of that's one tool that I love a lot. I don't know if there are others that you recommend as well.
1: So I love writing for the same reason. It's very tactile because you can feel the pen in your hand. So again, it gets you out of your storytelling brain and a little bit more into your mindful sensory brain.
0: I like uh, that as well. So other tips or tricks for the female entrepreneur, what are other patterns that you notice noticed as you've worked at some of these companies and you've talked to people? We have, we know the yes syndrome. We have the people-pleasing syndrome. We have the desire to take care. I'm so guilty of that. The desire to take care and mother everybody, you know, and that can get us into trouble. And then there's the control issue, which I feel like that one I might have graduated from actually in the <laughs> last few years. I think, I think um, I might've moved on from that. I definitely had that in the beginning stages, but I think I've moved on a little bit from that. What other traps do you notice that we fall into?
1: So over committing and under delivering to ourselves. We're mm-hmm. so good at under committing and over delivering to our customers and even to our team. But when it comes to ourselves, we chronically overcommit, You know, these are all of the 30 things I'm going to get done tomorrow. Yes. And then we only get a handful of them done. And it goes into this whole work guilt shame spiral where we're trying to like sneak in work on the laptop while your partner's watching Netflix. Yeah. I'm um, wondering wondering why you can't just put your laptop away and then tossing and turning in bed wondering what disaster awaits you in the morning. Right. And the solution to that isn't to do more. It's to commit to less.
0: You sound like my husband. I do this
1: so much.
0: I don't like this interview. <laughs> He's like, sweetheart, you're only 24 hours in the day and you've got to sleep for five to six. So I think you're, because I was complaining, I'm like, I didn't get my list done. He's like, I just think the list is too long. He's like, he's like, I think you need to change the list. So, but
1: anyhow, he sounds just like usually is. <laughs> and the, I mean, the key to doing that, so you have the list, go through it and figure out what are the things that don't need to be done at all? sometimes there are actually things that aren't necessary Uh, and we've just been doing them for so long or they've been on the list for so long that we assume they are necessary yes we do and yep. then what are the things that need to be done but don't need to be done by you
0: right very true very very true well here's the other perspective of all of this is that and that's why i'm also trying to retrain myself and be better but when we keep this up for a long period of time, we do get sick, right? So I'm sure, did you see that some too in your work with women who were just unable to let go, kept at it, couldn't heal past certain wounds. And then sure enough, like you get that hammer that forces you to stop but that diagnosis that you know illness chronic pain chronic fatigue whatever it is and it literally forces you in your tracks how much of that have you seen
1: all the time yeah. including in myself but it and it's and it's very I think it's very similar for most of us you know it's fatigue Chronic fatigue, and then either we're overeating or undereating. Mm-hmm. We're either overexercising or not moving our bodies enough. Right. There's this whole cycle of getting disconnected from the body because we're just trying to push ourselves to work, work, work all the time. So then, it's doubly bad because we're not taking care of our bodies, which gets us into that state of exhaustion, chronic pain, anxiety, and eventual illness but then we also have our minds wandering around in space, caught up in our thoughts all the time. And even simple things like a body scan meditation don't feel available to us because we're so disconnected. Mm -hmm. Is there a quick way to reconnect back when we get
0: into that space? I mean, I spoke to a woman the other day in my office and I see amazing women in our practice at Center Spring MD all the time. And many of them are very successful. They have you know, great careers, great businesses, all this other stuff. And I just, you know, the other day, like three in a row, it was like back to back, like I am done. I'm burnt out. I'm done. I'm tired. What would you say to those women, you know, that are sitting there and it's, and I'm looking at their numbers, you know, I'm looking at labs and chemistry and all our, you know, energy scans that we do and things like that. And You know, there's nothing crazy in the numbers yet. The energy scans warn, you know, of chi, you know, deficiency or some of these things that are starting to wear and tear, you know. And so I'm looking at them and I have a plan for them to optimize like their adrenals or balance their hormones or their nutrition. But I've learned that when you're coming in that burnt out, that defeated, like what is the right next step for them? you know, sometimes it's not my plan, you know, sometimes it's something else. What would you say to that?
1: It's some combination of getting a lot of stuff off the to-do list. And I don't mean by them doing it and rebalancing the nervous system.
0: And getting back to sleep. I mean, I kind of take them back to list. treat Here's my advice for many of those women, including myself. And I forget too, but let's treat ourselves like our own kids. You know, like, would you let your kid like stay up all night and, and eat crap all day and, you know, like burn themselves. I've got two studying for exams right now and I'm constantly like, let's get outside. Let's get some fresh air. Like, you know, why not treat yourself like your own child? And that same amount of love and nurturing and support probably needs to go into you. That would go into anybody else that you care about, but there's so much guilt. There's so much guilt that women have. I mean, one woman told me I'm not gonna delegate out taking my kids to school because that's my only time with them and I have guilt about that. Another one told me I'm not gonna delegate out having our meals cooked. Nobody in generations has ever delegated out having meals cooked by somebody else. How dare I go and get that meal cooked and bring outside food in? I'm like, and I remember asking that very point blank question, like, well, did anybody in previous generations have the, the job demands that you do? And the answer was no. But like there are many of us are modeling or role modeling the examples we grew up with. So if our mothers didn't do this or people in our family didn't do this delegation, we almost feel like a failure. How do we avoid that feeling of, okay, we're guilty or we failed or we can't do it all. So we're less than perfect or less intelligent or or something along those lines.
1: So. Now, this is a it's a common piece of advice, but it applies here. And it's what would you tell a friend? Because we're so much kinder to the people around us than we are to ourselves. Mm-hmm. A practical question that I ask often is: are you even able to enjoy that? Do you enjoy taking your kids to school? Do you enjoy cooking for your family? Because if we don't have enough energy to enjoy something, it's not having the desired. Impact anyway.
0: Right. Such good advice and so true. What would you tell anyone out there listening today who's really lost, really confused, really busting it, running their businesses, you know, or hoping to run a business in the future? What would
1: you tell them? First of all, breathe. And second, take a really close look at all of the things that you're doing and all of the things that your business is doing. Because the The fastest and honestly, most like lightning, liberating way to get stuff off your to-do list is to decide that not everything needs to be done. Hmm. So simplifying your business, simplifying your personal responsibilities, figuring out what are the things that are actually positively impacting my family, my people, my customers, my team. Those are the things that are really important the stuff that we've taken on because we saw other people doing it. A mentor told us it was important. And if it's not having the benefits for us and the people around us, we need to look at letting it go. I think that's great
0: advice. And do you recommend that female entrepreneurs have things like business coaches or have someone kind of by their side as they're going through this journey? What's sort of your your general consensus? I've never, by the way, used a business coach, but I know many people do. What's your general sense of that? I'm super curious about it too. <laughs> so would be think, would love to know what you think there.
1: I recommend that everyone have someone by their side, but whether it be a business coach or a wellness coach or an integrative health practitioner mm-hmm. is going to be dependent on their needs. So we all need a person, but it doesn't need to be a business coach.
0: Gotcha. Oh, love this interview. Thank you. I was kidding when I said I didn't like this. interview. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love like the perspective. I think the space of women running business is the future. I think we are doing incredible things as a group of females and female entrepreneurs. I do worry just even looking at myself and I have my own stories, but I do worry that that empathy and that connection and that desire. I, I really do feel like so many women desire at, at their utmost level to change the world in some small way or big way. But I think that drive, you know, in all of us sometimes also crashes us. And I get to see that, you know, firsthand. I've seen it in myself. And what we don't want it to do is we don't want it to crush our health. We don't want it to crush our relationships, which we didn't actually talk about. And we don't want it to crush our families, you know? So I think that those are the big kind of like stop signs or warning signs. And I, before I let you go, I would love for you to comment on that, like the, the role or sort of the impact of the female entrepreneur on the family itself. Tell us what you're seeing kind of on that angle, family and relationships and all of that.
1: Yeah, I, I see... All across the board, you know, I see women who are so burnt out that they're not able to be there for their families and that feel like they need to keep working in order to provide for their families financially. But the cost is that they're not able to be present with their families. Right. And I see women who are on the other side of this work who are working fewer hours, bringing in more money with ease. They're, you know, shutting their laptop in the afternoon and not coming back to it until mid-morning the next day without another thought. Mm. So to your point, you know, women entrepreneurs are going to change the world yeah. and we what? just need to normalize changing the world without burning ourselves out. Yes. We need all the
0: support we can get. Thank you so much for taking time out to shed some light on this. I do think it's something that you know, I, it's tongue in cheek with the superwoman business here, guys, but this is this is real life. You know, we are juggling. We're doing a lot. We are truly superwomen. I still say I haven't met a woman that isn't a superwoman. She's always doing so many different things, and you add that element of business to it, and it just takes it to another level. If folks want to connect with you, uh, Brooke, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Uh, on my website, drbrooksmith.com and Instagram at drbrooksmith.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for taking time out. We really appreciate it. And for everybody else, definitely go out there and conquer, but take care of yourself. And remember, we are on Spotify and iHeart and iTunes and everywhere that podcasts are being played. So don't forget to rate and review it and share it with your friends. And if you do screenshot your review and email it to me at hello at com, and I'll send you a free bottle of Boost. And thank you guys. I will see you all next time.